0: Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and Cannabis Lifestyle Guide. I've been posted up in Texas for family stuff for 10 days as I record this episode of the podcast. By the time I leave, I'll have waltzed across Texas for 25 days. That's the most time I've spent in the Lone Star State at once since I moved away to Italy back in 2012. Being out of my normal routine for almost a month is a challenge. I don't wake up as early. I skip morning meditations to cram and work while everyone is still sleeping. I don't have my stash of favorite flower strains, nor my full regimen of daily herbs and supplements. And I pretty much eat like shit. I make room for daily breakfast tacos, Tex-Mex, and my Texas fast food favorites. Shout out Whataburger. <laughs> my heart and soul is happy to be here but my body is ready to hightail it back to California. These current food cravings got me to thinking about our relationship to food when we're high. The munchies can be a real devil if you're not prepared. So while in Austin, I popped in for a visit with my friend and nutritionist, Carly Pollock. Carly is the founder of Nutritional Wisdom and author of Feed Your Soul, Nutritional Wisdom to Lose Weight Permanently and Live Fulfilled. Carly has a master's degree in holistic nutrition, is a certified clinical nutritionist, a life coach, and spiritual advisor. Carly focuses her efforts in helping folks like you and me change our psychology and relationship with food. So whether you battle with body issues, feel addicted to sugar or overeating, or you feel stressed, worried, and anxious around food when you're high, I want you to take a deep breath. And know that there's a solution. Settle in, my friend. It's time to get casually baked and find food freedom with this Munchie's remix.
1: I got the bottle of wine, the high dollar I got the West Coast smoke. But I better just
0: take one... Carly, I'm so excited to be sitting here across from you today. It's been so long since I've seen your smiling face. I know it's so good to see you. I just wanna
1: hug you and (laughs) squeeze your cheeks.
0: Yes. So Carly is the founder and chief executive coach of Nutritional Wisdom. And back in 2009, when she was getting this party started, I was one of her guinea pig clients. And you taught me some important wellness tips for helping me navigate my own existence and my own relationship with food And I remember doing some cleansing stuff where I was just cutting everything out of my diet for a couple of weeks. And that was really difficult, but... You just have some really logical, helpful advice. And there's so many people, especially women, who are really wanting to start trading in that glass of wine or bottle of wine every evening and relax in a different way. And unfortunately, cannabis has this stigma of, you know, making you hungry, giving you the munchies. And I really wanted to kind of squash that with you today and help get you to help us maybe with some tips on maybe smart snacks to pack in the pantry and how to use cannabis to kind of shift our perspective and our relationship with food.
1: 90% of anything we do is going to be mind work, whether we're trying to achieve changes in our health in our marriage Uh, we're looking to shift jobs. Most of this is about the work that we do with the voice inside of our own head. And then the other 10%, in my opinion, are the, what you mentioned, the logistics, the eat this, don't eat that, the switch this out for this thing. And so, yeah, I think it's important that we talk about both the logistics and the mind work. People place way too much importance on the logistics and they don't take any time to look at what is going on between my two ears? What am I thinking? What am I saying about this? And just like you said, squashing the idea that all cannabis creates an automatic munchies, what we say is the most powerful force in our lives. So if I go to partake in cannabis and there's a voice in my head that says, oh, well now I'm going to get the munchies. That is more important of a story to squash than the idea of um, sitting there in a straight jacket and brushing your teeth and flossing, which is a good logistical <laughs> recommendation. And I used to do that a lot where I would smoke and then I would brush my teeth and floss because there was something about that where I wouldn't want to go back, eat and then have to go back and floss. So that's, that's a small piece.
0: And you have such beautiful teeth. I, I should have taken up that tip a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, what is your relationship with cannabis?
1: Currently, my relationship with cannabis is that I'm on a break, but I used it, you know, I started using cannabis back in high school, and I was always an extremely anxious kid growing up. I had a lot of self-induced anxiety. My parents did not know what to do with me. This was not you know, my um, mother breathing down my neck saying I needed to get straight A's. This was really, now in hindsight, I look back, a real lesson for me um, on how to live my life. I believe that everyone has a pain teacher, which is pain that comes into your life in some form, whether it's emotional or physical. And it's teaching us how to live our dharma or our purpose, how to live more in alignment with what our soul is supposed to experience on this earth. So now I look back and see that my anxiety was really a gift and continues to be a gift when it comes up because it teaches me the deeper act of surrender. But at the time in high school, not being on a spiritual path at all, I mean, I grew up in Staten Island, which (laughs) I do not openly tell people, but, um, I didn't know what to do with it. And so cannabis was a way that I really helped manage the voice in my head. And in fact, within a few minutes of using cannabis or even just, you know, a puff or two at the time I was smoking, uh, I noticed that the voice in my head was able to calm down. So my relationship started there. And then I, I've always taken breaks because of thinking that I never wanted to feel addicted to anything. And there were definitely, I have a very addictive personality and there were definitely times in my life where it was being abused. And then most recently I've had an infant and it was so helpful in the first trimester. And I know that that is very controversial and you know, I even asked my midwife, "What do you think about this?" And she's really hippy dippy, and and she, you know, no one really knows what to say because it's not like studies have been done. Right. But um, I used edibles during the first trimester, and it was a lifesaver because I was so nauseous and I was so so sick. Mm-hmm. And um, now I'm back in a break, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> but no, I've always appreciated because you have always ebbed and flowed through your use. And I do remember we shared a workout partner and she would get really frustrated if you showed up to a workout high and I love working out high.
1: It was the best. It was, I could channel my inner Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like I would get high and go and have the best workout. I remember, I'll never forget. It was over a decade ago. I got high and went to a yoga class and decided my intention when I came in was I'm not going to open my eyes the entire class. And for an hour and 15 minutes, I did not open my eyes and I totally went within and it was It was an experience that I'll never forget, which I wouldn't have had the access to if I didn't smoke before I went. So it was pretty cool.
0: Yeah. And cannabis is that beautiful conduit to opening our mind. And I feel like a lot of people that have issues with food, they have conflicting relationships with food. I feel like when those people get high, it makes them vulnerable to that. So, you know, what do you teach in your coaching to your clients when it comes to that mindfulness around your food relationship? I teach that
1: your plate is a reflection of your inner state. And I say that all the time, that what drives us to do what we do and eat the way we do is really at the root what needs to be healed. So I won't say that it's completely not about the food because... There is a piece of this, which is being educated and knowing about the food, but so much more of it is our emotional state walking through life. And that's why at Nutritional Wisdom, it's not just the functional medicine piece of what we do and the nutrition piece. We're also life coaches. We're also self-development coaches because I believe that your relationship with food is an amazing opportunity for you to have a deeper spiritual understanding of where you are in your path right now. So I look at my relationship with food, wherever it is currently as my spiritual teacher. And so if it's, if I'm eating crappy food, that's telling me that I need to go within. I need to take a look at what's going on in my thought process. I need to look at my self care. If my relationship with food feels really strong, I can guarantee you that I'm doing the things that I need to do from a spiritual perspective to feel grounded and at peace. And then my physical body is just a reflection Of how much I'm loving and caring about myself at the time. So, you know, as women and men as well, but especially women, we yo yo five pounds, 10 pounds, 20 pounds, and we want to make it so much about the weight and that we're lazy or we have no willpower or it's because we're binge eaters or the food tastes so good. Or maybe some of us are making it about the cannabis habit and it's because I can't quit smoking that I can't get rid of the munchies. But really, it's about where we are emotionally. And if that's one takeaway that any of the listeners have today, it's that it's really not about the food. It's about how you're feeling at the time you choose to eat what you do. And that's another thing
0: too. So, you know, whenever we are thinking about, okay, what's on my plate is a reflection of what's happening because I'm right now here in Texas and I've been with my family for the last week and a half and I've had more fried shit on my plate than I have probably in the last several months combined back in Oakland. And so I do feel like a lot of it is, you know, I don't meditate as much when I'm home because there's a thousand things going on and yeah, and I have, I've just
1: felt like crap the last week yeah, I mean, it's, it's. I, I call surreal. this. I just had a book that come came out in January called "Feed Your Soul: Nutritional Wisdom to Lose Weight Permanently and Live Life Fulfilled." And uh, I I coined this term "food karma" because we know that karma is like attracts like. What you put out comes back. And I realized that when we feel like crap. We crave foods that make us continue to feel like crap. And when we feel good, we crave foods that make us feel good. So no one leaves a yoga class or a meditation and says, I really could just love some fried chicken. We want salads, (laughs) we want smoothies, we want green juices. But when we're PMSing or when we're traveling and we're not feeling as grounded we crave these foods that actually mimic to us not feeling as grounded. And I really challenge you to look at your thoughts because I believe that thoughts ultimately create your emotional state and that that drives your behavior. So when people travel or you're around in social situations, we'll hear this a lot where it's like, well, I'm eating this food because if everyone's eating fried food and then I order the salad, they'll feel I'm judging them or they'll make fun of me. And so look at what our thought process is when we sit down to a meal. Oh, I don't want to rock the boat or everybody's having it. Or maybe your story is, I'm on vacation. I can have this. But imagine how different the behavior would be if when you sat down, you said, okay, I can have this. It's not a, I shouldn't have this. I can eat this, but how am I going to feel after I eat it later? What about tomorrow? What about the next time I'm in a bathing suit? Am I physically hungry for this? Is there something that I'm really hungry for that has nothing to do with food, meaning I need comfort, I need connection? A lot of the times food represents connection for us. I don't know if fried food has some sort of familial you know, thing for you. But I know my uncle growing up, he used to always get us donuts for breakfast. And it was just this fun thing. We go with Uncle Kenny, we get donuts. And when he died, we just all wanted to eat donuts. So it's like (laughs) food is not just the food. It it carries a story and a memory attached. And if we're not careful, that can sabotage us when we're not mindful about what's going on in our thought
0: process. Absolutely. And the thing that I have learned and And really practice is the importance of the micro decisions that I make every day. Because it's like, you know, the micro ends up being the macro of my life. And, you know, I had my genetics done. And so I know the food and supplements and exercise and sleep and, and how my endocannabinoid system works and how cannabis interacts with my body. Well, now that I'm empowered with that information, when I am sitting at that table, You know, it's more important for me to make the right decisions because I know the consequences if I continue to choose the fried chicken over, you know, the grilled salmon. And so I always encourage people to have that genetic testing done if they're willing to accept the information and move on it in an empowered way instead of being like, great, I've sealed my fate. I'm going to lose my mind and not remember my children when I'm 80.
1: Yep. You know, um, with, the, with the genetic testing, for those of you who haven't heard about it, we used to use a lab where it was very expensive. It was about $400. They did this extensive genome testing. Well, now, if you've done 23andMe or uh, Ancestry.com, you can download your raw data and go to a website called foundmyfitness.com, which is the website of Dr. Rhonda Patrick, who has a PhD in nutritional science. She's extremely smart. And... Uh, you could for I think $15 upload your raw data and she will give you the nutritional genome mutations, like um, gene mutations such as whether you absorb vitamin D or if you have an MTHFR which is a folic acid gene mutation so that's a really cool tool that I think a lot of people don't know about but you said it so well the micro decisions because I always say death by a million paper cuts when a (laughs) client comes in they're like well I just had a few bites of this and a few bites of this and I'm like death by a million paper cuts that that micro Really does turn into macro, and if you think about all those little things we do food wise, if we put them on a table at the end of the week, and we put them all <laughs> on, like, how what would that look like to us? Would it be really overwhelming? Would it be two chocolate bars a week? And then if you look at that in the year, that really adds up. Oh yeah. So what are some of the tips that you give
0: your clients for creating the healthy habits and the the mental habits?
1: The first tip is to get clear on what diet works for you. There's so much diet dogma out there right now. It's like and I hate that word too. I know the diet word. Uh, the, the, because diet to us represents restriction. Yeah. It represents like you've been bad in some way. So now you need to, it's like probation. <laughs> now you need to be put on a diet. I instead think about it as loving boundaries, that when I was clear about my vision for what I wanted my health to look like and what I wanted my body to feel and look like, that I then made these loving boundaries. So for me, and I'm a very sensitive, I have a very sensitive system, but for me, when I'm listening to my body, it doesn't like gluten, it doesn't like dairy, it doesn't like corn, you know, it doesn't like sugar. So I've then made these loving boundaries, hey, I eat this way 80 to 90% of the time. And then I feel that... everyone should always give themselves two free meals per week, not free days. And they're not cheat meals. You're not cheating anything, but two meals where if you're a foodie, you can really just be a foodie and deal with the consequence. And it's not that bad because the rest of the time you're eating really clean. So I maintain the best health of my life and I might eat pizza and Chinese food in a week, which sounds like, wow, how could you be in the best health? But every other thing that I'm putting into my body is for the intention of nourishing and enjoying in a way that's both tasty and healthy to me.
0: And that's one of the things that I love about what you do on social, sharing some of the meals that you've created. You share pictures of them. I think you you still put recipes on your website, don't yep, you? Yep. Yeah. Those sorts of things are helpful for people who don't necessarily know what that healthy meal might look like, but it gives them an opportunity to dive into somebody else's kitchen creativity and pull it into their own house and figure out if for it works sure. for them.
1: Exactly. To see if it works for them. Because with the diet dogma, I mean, you have like paleo, keto, vegan, vegan, no oil. We just have all of it. And and you're always going to find a study that's going to support whatever it is yeah. that you're looking to yes. prove. You can always find what you're looking for. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Seek and ye shall find, even if it's not really good for you. And I believe that there is a general guideline that I can give to people, which is everyone, whether you're a female, male, how old you are, your genetic history, all of these things that make us biochemically unique. We all need to be eating unprocessed food, food that is alive, that rots and spoils, food that's not in packages. We need to be eating way more plants than we're eating. And I'm not talking about eating or not eating animal protein, but to make sure throughout the day that you are eating fruits and vegetables. Again, these are the foods that are going to rot and spoil the quickest. And then avoiding the major inflammatory foods, the sugar, alcohol, and And to make sure that we're not overeating because I feel that so much of the disease and imbalance we feel in our body is because of excess of too much of whatever. And all of us have an excess of negative thinking and worry. And that's a piece of health that people don't think about because they're so focused on the food. But mental, emotional health is just as important as biochemical health.
0: Absolutely. And you know the portion size, people don't even know what a real portion size could be or should be because of the way food is served in restaurants. I mean, it is insane. I will get a meal and can
1: eat it for three meals. I know it's gross and everything's bigger in Texas. (laughs) What I say for portion size, because instead of people following some arbitrary, like four ounces for women, and you should eat what you can carry only in your two hands because the taller you are, the more you need to eat, the bigger your hands. So if you put your two hands together and you spread out your fingers, but you keep your pinkies connected, you'll find what is an appropriate size portion for food. And I always joke that I want you to be able to eat, have your cake and eat it too. You just can't eat that much cake. It's like you get to be really healthy and also engage in some things that are maybe not that healthy. You just can't do it that much. Yeah, There is a way to have both. It's the excess that ruins it for us. And I think that's excess in anything.
0: Like, you know, with cannabis, if you microdose cannabis regularly, the studies show that you have a lower body mass index than someone who doesn't consume cannabis. So we know it is good for us, but it is, again, it's portion control with right. cannabis. And I mean, once I left Texas and I moved to California, number one, I did not drink beer anymore because it's not this fucking hot, Mm -hmm. you know, and so beer was out of my diet. I also was able to go into a dispensary and choose the right strains, the right products, and within six months, I saw major changes in the way my body looked. I know,
1: girl, you look good. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah, I mean, that's the hard part about cannabis is that when you don't have the access and you don't, I mean, I remember when I was um, actively using cannabis every day and I wouldn't know I would get a strain that I would buy an ounce or however much, and it would give me the crazy munchies. And then I would think, shit, like now I have all... <laughs> Yeah. I had to go through this. And that's when the logistics were very helpful for me. When I think of if you have the munchies, and just so people know what the science is behind the munchies. So there are hormones in our body that tell us when we're full and we're, we're hungry. Ghrelin is the hormone that tells us we're hungry and leptin is the hormone that tells us we're full. Well, THC plugs into leptin receptor sites and doesn't give us that message that we're full. And that's why at times when we have the munchies, It just feels like we can eat and eat. And then once the high wears off, we're like, oh man, we're really, really full. So when I think about logistics of you have the munchies, you want to eat something, but you don't want to wake up with the regretsies the next day, (laughs) you know, like, you know, cloaked in shame, then I'm thinking about low calorie foods. That you can eat in high density, like high quantity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So here are a few things that come to mind. Uh, Something like, dehydrated vegetable chips or the kale chips where you could seriously like do some damage and not be, you know, you're like, you eat kale chips for a year. You're like, I've consumed a whole 200 calories. It's like, it's like air or something that takes a long time to eat. Something that I always bring when I travel or I'm flying are sunflower seeds or pistachios. Cause like you got to work for that food. Yes, you you do. I would never buy sunflower seeds out of the shell, because I mean, a handful. Are you kidding me? Yeah. It. My lips are shriveled up before <laughs> I even get a serving size. So it's like, you're high. Get something that you got to work for. Buy walnuts in the shell. Now, nuts we know are a high calorie, but also high nutrient dense food. Hopefully, the time it takes you to get to the nut is what's pacing you out. Uh-huh. Another thing is that I really love making popsicles, especially if you are smoking or engaging in some sort of cannabis that creates dry mouth. Uh, So I will make kid-sized popsicles. So you buy the popsicle makers that are for children. And I'll do things like buy an unsweetened almond milk and add cacao powder, which is an excellent source of magnesium, especially for women. It helps with hormone balance. And then I'll add some stevia or some local honey, some manuka honey if it's during flu season, because that has antibacterial properties. And I'll make basically a fudgesicle. Or I love lemonade. So I'll do like lemon water, stevia, and then some mint and make popsicles. And you could just, there, you could eat like five Popsicles, (laughs) yeah, these are great tips.
0: Now, I remember uh, one of my personal trainers had said, if you need a snack and you want something sweet, strawberries are the best fruit for that. Is this true or false?
1: Low sugar or low fructose fruits are going to be your berries for the most part, blueberries are part of that as well. I though, can't stand it when we're on any sort of diet where they say a certain fruit is bad because it's high sugar, like, oh, avoid the watermelon or the bananas or the tropical fruits like mango. They are higher sugar, but this is mother nature's candy. I like to think of if you can grow it from the ground or you're eating the animal that was eating the food from the ground, that... I don't want anything from mother nature to be off limits. And and mother nature, she was incredibly smart when she made these things. She put fiber in the foods that were naturally high sugar to slow us down so that we would be full. So for example, you know, if I put three apples in front of you after about one, maybe one and a half, you don't want any more. But what do humans do? We remove the fiber, we turn it into juice and eight ounces of apple juice requires eight apples to juice. Like you would never be able to eat eight apples, but you could down an eight ounce apple juice in like 10 seconds and have a blood sugar spike that'd be enough to like put a small child into a coma. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I love the strawberries and that person's right. It's a low sugar fruit, but I'm all for people just unprocessed eating in general. Okay. All right. I dig
0: it. And then is it true that celery, you burn more calories eating it than it has?
1: (laughs) So that's kind of (laughs) funny. And and there's actually a huge celery juice trend right now. There is. We could talk about that because I, I do, I'm behind it. I drink celery juice every morning, but there's reasons why I do it and why I recommend other people wouldn't need to. But I do not think that's true that you burn more calories. I think somebody came up with that, that they were like chewing celery one day and so pissed off and being like, Motherfucker, you probably burn more. And then like it's spread. They're like, these strings are growing in my mouth. I always say celery chewing it is like I call it celery gum. Like you get to the end part where you're just like you could chew it like gum. Like it's so fibrous that yeah. you basically have to spit it out. Um but yeah, celery juice is is now trending so hard that like the price of celery has more than doubled and Oh yeah, these soccer moms in Marin fighting them at Trader Joe's for the like last the organic <laughs> celery. <laughs> and my daughter who's 13 months, she at 4 months started showing signs of eczema and so one thing that celery juice does is it kills viruses and bacteria in the liver and eczema is said to be a low grade Epstein-Barr virus in the liver. And you know, we could digress into a whole conversation about that but yeah, I don't know why most people. I think most people don't know why they're drinking the celery juice. They're just like, everyone's doing it. And probably someone said it's good for weight loss. And anytime you say something's good for weight loss, all the like Lululemon yeah. bar <laughs> method moms are, you, you know, going to drink it. But um, yeah, it's celery juice. People think is like celery is mostly water, but it actually has a ton of nutrition.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I just roll my eyes at those people. But I. <laughs> have the skin thing
1: that I've been dealing with. So maybe I'll give that a shot. It's amazing for skin. We know that skin and gut are directly related and the skin is the biggest detox organ of the body. And when the liver and kidneys are not able to do their detoxifying work, we create something called dermatoxins. And these are toxins that, that are pushed out of our skin. So whether it's acne, eczema, psoriasis, hives, rashes, there's definitely a um, something of a low-grade infection going on, usually in the gut. But also something that's making detoxification for that person harder. Okay, gosh, this is good stuff. So, like these questions, these (laughs) come on, Joe. What else you got for me?
0: (laughs) Well, let's see. Okay, so our smart snacking—we're saying you're going to have items, nuts, things like that—that you have to work at. But then I try not to keep any crap in my house. If I want something sweet, I will go into the bakery section of the store and find whatever it is that has the least amount of sugar, has the most seeds and things like that in it. So do you the have- happy dessert. Yes, yeah.
1: Where yeah. it's like, you Dates, know, it's dates. <laughs> and it's not that good, but you've convinced yourself that it's good. Let's yes, be honest. Yes,
0: exactly. I feel you. So what are some of these- ways that we can either stock our kitchen or shop differently or whatever that can set
1: us stoners up for success. Totally. So I really love stevia as a sweetener. It's actually a plant. I've grown it in my backyard. It is not processed at all. It. Some people, stevia is one of those things you either love or you hate. Some people will say it has a very bitter taste, but Xylitol is another natural sweetener, but can cause digestive issues for people. I like to stay, like the safest thing is stevia as a sweetener and your local honey and your maple syrup, which um, has a lot of sugar, but has a ton of nutrition as well. And so I keep those sweeteners around and we'll, we'll make stuff with that. I actually love this brand of chocolate called Lily's and it's a stevia sweetened chocolate. And it's you'll see it has almost no sugar. And so I'll use that. Even the kind bars, which I know everybody knows, There are these kind bars that have five grams of sugar or less and they're drizzled with chocolate and I put them in the freezer and I swear they taste like a frozen Snickers bar.
0: It's the peanuts
1: drizzled with chocolate and there's five grams of sugar or less. Anytime I'm looking to pick up a package that has sugar in it, my rule is five grams or less, which you're going to find is extremely difficult to find a sweet treat five or less. If I'm looking for like an actual sweet treat, I don't expect it to be five or less, 10 or less I'd be happy with. But if you're looking for certain types of yogurts and things like that, cacao, cacao, um powder or nibs is the base of what chocolate is made of once you remove the dairy and the added sugar and it has something called PEA phenylethylamine which is so good for our hormones in fact as women we have this stigma like oh when we PMS we want chocolate Part of it is because when we're PMSing, our serotonin drops, and PEA is the quickest way to get one of the quickest ways to get serotonin up. And another thing is that we're deficient in magnesium, which cacao has a lot of. So I try to make all sorts of, like in the winter, I'll make. Um, a spicy hot chocolate with cacao, stevia, and a little bit of cayenne and some nut milk. In the summer, I turned it into a popsicle. And so I always have cacao powder and cacao nibs in my pantry. I have liquid stevia because it mixes well and is easy to bake with. I have maple syrup. I have dates. Sometimes just putting some almond butter and a little bit of honey in a date is just, it's enough. I do that all the time. I'll have two
0: of those mm-hmm. and I don't even do the honey. It's just the date and the almond butter. Yeah. It's and great. You know, and that's another thing that is so crazy to me is that a lot of times it's really hard to go to the shelf and find a nut butter that is literally 100%
1: that. I know. Even... um Justin's, which is a brand that I love. I've noticed lately they have added palm oil to their um, nut butter. You want just nuts. And the way to get around the oil going to the top and how annoying that is, is to fresh grind it if you have the opportunity at your grocery store to do it because then it doesn't separate. But if you're, if you don't have access and you have to buy the kind that is separated, just turn it upside down when you get it so that it can start to, as you use it, it'll start to you know, um, merge. But yeah, I mean, I grew up on Jif. I know. I was a Jif kid. Like I, I had to get off that trans fat, you know, it was like, oh my it was God. tough. Well,
0: and hell where I grew up in West Texas in the 80s. I mean, everything's, in a, bo- everything's in a box. <laughs> yeah, Or, you know, that's when microwaves and TV dinners and all. I mean, I don't even know how we survived. Do you remember snack wells?
1: Yes. Oh, dude, what I could do to a box of snack. Wells. Like, <laughs> that was my fattest period. Like when we went through that low fat craze and we thought fat made everybody fat. And so we made all this like high sugar Crap! I would just binge eat that and get heavier. I would have those little like Devil's Food Cake Snackles cookies that were like plastic on the outside. They were so gross. They would, could live forever. Like you could have a box from the 1990s and we could still eat it right now. They'd sit next
0: to that Big Mac and fries, and I was happy ever after. Kid. Oh my god!
1: <laughs> yeah, and and um, that was definitely not the right way to think. That fat made us fat. That's definitely not the case. Fat satiates us, and it's actually the feeling on the tongue that makes us feel satisfied. And And your fat soluble vitamins, vitamin A, D, E and K, they can only be absorbed when we're eating fat. So even when we were doing the salads that were filled with this nutrition, but we were putting a low fat dressing on it, it was just like so misguided. And so um, even thinking about that when you have the munchies, like wanting to get a fat source, even though that's a high calorie source, it will make you feel really satiated. But what we were talking about at the beginning of this being really like the logistical conversation, the mind work is so important. I am an outcome focused, or I've had to train my mind to be really outcome focused because you have two components to anything you're going to achieve. You have the outcome of of what you get at the end, and then you have the process of what it takes to get there. And the process is always going to be painful in some way. And if you focus on the process, you're going to drown. And so thinking about even setting an intention before you use cannabis in whatever form you're going to use it. If you're someone who tends to get the munchies or then it winds up creating a consequence for you. And so it's like you love some of the things that it does for you, but you are worried about the eating consequence. Set an outcome. Think about I before I would smoke, when I was actively smoking, I would say, okay, I am smoking. I want to get the relaxation. I do not want a consequence from this. So I visualize myself smoking. And then the outcome, which is that I could really, in, you know, enjoy that high and not have I didn't, you know, want to be like sitting there with a bag of popcorn eating my face off. So I visualize the outcome of waking up the next morning and saying, wow, look how empowered I am. I can use this and and get the reward from it, but I am strong enough to say no to all of those other things that would give me a consequence. So... Just one little tiny piece of mind work is to really set an intention. Think about what you want to do before you go into the behavior. So if you don't want to have the munchies, think about brushing your teeth or chewing gum or sucking on a zinc lozenge and visualize yourself actually doing that. And maybe a friend who's sitting next to you being like, oh yeah, let's order pizza. And you'd be like, no, like actually go through those movements because in quantum physics, we've studied that visualizing us going through it is the same thing thing and, and activates the same parts of our brain as us actually doing it. So the practice of it is really,
0: really important. Yeah. And you know, one of the things, anybody that knows me really well, hears me say all the time, I am a powerful creator. My thoughts become the things in my life. Yes. And I believe that so deeply. And one of the things that I find helpful is if I do have strains that really make me hungry, I make a note of it. I mark the jar. I'm like, okay, this cannabis I can consume when I'm preparing my food right before I'm going to eat dinner. That way I'm going to have an amazing dining experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if if you don't necessarily know that just yet... If you find yourself getting hungry, get up and do something, get up and move, get up and
1: leave the house, go to a different room, you know, change your pattern. Yes. Change your setting. Yes. Mm -hmm. The neural pathways, even when you're watching TV and a commercial comes on with food and you weren't even thinking about it before. And then you go, oh man, pizza, I really want that. Dropping down on the floor and doing 10 push-ups is a pattern interrupt. It's not about the push-ups. Who cares about the push-ups? It's that a different part of your brain that activates muscle contraction then needs to be turned on versus the part of your brain and the dopamine center, which is the pleasure and the yearning center. Interrupting the pattern is such good advice for anything in life. You're feeling angry. You're feeling sad. You're feeling bored. You're, you know, feeling the munchies. Interrupt the pattern. Sometimes I'm sitting in front of clients and they're going off in some story and I'll just flick some water at them. they're like what the fuck why did you do that? oh i just oh keep going with your story it's like it's so hard to go back and <laughs> anyone listening who is who's a mother uh, or has been a mother of a young kid you know you could be eating a meal starving for the meal and then somewhat like a crayon is being used on an inappropriate piece of furniture or the phone rings or whatever and then i come back to my meal i'm like i'm not even hungry anymore cuz i interrupted the pattern and i gave leptin the 15 minutes it needs to travel from my stomach to my brain to say you are in fact full Mm -hmm. And if you are stuck and this is kind of worst case scenario, you have the munchies, you're eating a bag of chips, like you've gone there, slow it down. That's the one piece of it, like eat slowly. It's not going extinct. It's not going anywhere. And instead of having the guilt and shame of like, I shouldn't be eating this, then I'm going to go on some binge diet and not eat it. That creates food scarcity that wants makes us want to eat even more because we feel it's going away. Something I said before that I always say to myself, I'm like, Carly, you can have this. Because I mean, so many years of my life, it was like, you can't have this. You shouldn't have this. And now it's like, I can have whatever I want, it's I choose, not to. So it's not about some pressure of, if I eat this, I'll get fat and what that will do for my self-confidence. It's like, I'm choosing not to do this because I am the creator of my reality and I am ultimately responsible for my body and my health. And I want to be able to, when I'm in great health, say, I did this. Like I look in the mirror now and I'm like, I did this. Blood, sweat, and tears, hard choices, discipline. Like I created this body. I'm not naturally thin like for me to, um, be in shape on the outside means, uh, like I said before, I'm doing all the right things on the inside. And so I want us to be able to take ownership of this. And there's an empowered feeling of like, you're choosing not to do this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with
0: you talking about the going slow, that was one of the things that you taught me a long time ago that stuck with me is putting my fork down in between every bite of food that I take. Yeah. So whenever I take that and I translate that into snacking, if anybody comes to my house and they go into the pantry and they get out, you know, whatever kind of chips or something is up there, you'll find that there's just like a fourth of the packet that's cut. So my hand will not go into the pack. Like I cannot just dig my hand down and grab a whole handful of something. I have to pour out one or two of the chips or the peanut butter pretzels or whatever that thing is and be like, why do you,
1: why did you do this? And I'm like, to slow myself down. So smart. <laughs> so smart. I will tell people to eat with chopsticks. Yes. Because it is a forced slowdown and, uh, and not in the way that I want it to be frustrating, but it's just, we eat too quickly. And then the last 15 minutes of what we consume is always in overconsumption. When I was younger and, and battling with my weight, I used to say that I overeat because I enjoy food too much because I'm such a foodie. I'd be like, well, I would be at the end of the meal, I would say, I'm so full, but this tastes so good. And I would pick up my fork and eat it again. And I realized that it's actually the opposite. We overeat because we don't enjoy it enough. And if we only taste one-tenth of our food's flavor, we're to need to eat 10 times the amount to feel satisfied. I want to eat like Padma on Top Chef. It's like, you should see me when I go with my husband, we don't really talk during the meal. We're such foodies. We're like, we put the, I'm like, it's salty. It's sweet. It has this aftertone. Oh, I, I think there's needs to be some acid in here. It's like, I know that that's not realistic every day that I'm sitting at the office with my salad and all my employees are in here and we're talking and whatever. I just want every bite that you put in your mouth to just pause for a second and think about if this was the first time you were tasting this food, what would it taste like? Because you'll notice how much of a conscious eater you are when you go to other countries. It's like you go to Italy and you sit in front of a plate of pasta, all of a sudden you're like, ooh, the the richness in this. But then at home, we eat it, we finish it. We don't even know what it tasted like. Well, no wonder at 9 PM we have the munchies. So a piece of this is really being present with the food you do eat, uh, cannabis or not, breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And really honor that piece that we are nourishing ourselves. We don't really think about it because it's something we do all the time, but we're sitting down and this food that we eat becomes part of every cell of our body. And I'm not saying eat in silence. Like you know me, I'm the most realistic nutritionist there is. Like I keep it real. (laughs) Um, But it's, It's just every bite for just a second. It's like, thank you for this food, this food, visualizing, like going into every cell of my body, making me healthy. The mind is so powerful. And that's why 90% of making any change in your life is really about learning to control the mind. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that Crystal will say to me
0: a lot. This food is good for you if you think it is. So even if it's one of those things where you're like, I shouldn't have it, you shouldn't have it. She would be like, damn straight, you shouldn't have it.
1: Not with that attitude. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, there is this amazing book called The Yoga of Eating. It's out of print now. And and this um, guy was a yogi, amazing person. And he was vegan for many years. And he said that his mother was always so stressful for her for Thanksgiving that she wanted him to eat the turkey and she would just be so upset that her son was vegan. And finally one year he said, I'm going to get off my high horse. Like I really want to do something for my mom. Like I'm going to go in, I'm going to eat this. And he said he felt so good eating it, because it was in service. It was, it was because of love. And we've all experienced like, I've had a meal where I eat it at work and I'm super stressed and rushed and whatever. And then I'm like bloated and I don't digest it well. And then I eat that same meal at home and I absorb it completely differently. Or going out to a meal with friends and eating gluten and dairy. And after the meal, I'm like waiting for it to, for like the smackdown, uh-huh. And I'm like, I feel okay. This is weird versus eating a totally clean protein and veg meal when I'm not in a good place and burping that up all night. So absolutely, there is a very strong piece to what we feel is good for us. Um, And that's why it's so important when you're about to smoke or however you engage in your cannabis behavior that you're not like, oh, well, this is going to give me the munchies. So I guess I'm just going to wind up eating. Like don't give up before you start.
0: Yeah. So I talk a lot about set and setting whenever you are consuming cannabis. But you know, when it comes to the food piece, it's set setting an intention. And so just making sure that you're in a good place, you've set yourself up for success in the things that are within arm's reach for you to put in your mouth, and that yeah. you do have this positive attitude about what the cannabis is going to do for you. And, and being
1: Confident in your ability to make good decisions for yourself. Yeah, you know it's interesting when I I had taken a break um, with smoking for actually or with cannabis for quite a while, and then when I was in my first trimester, the first time I took an edible, there was a piece of me that was like, I don't know if you should be doing this. I was unsure because I was in the first trimester. And no one was giving me the green light, and I had such a bad experience. I was like freak out, panic attack, had to like go in the shower. I was pacing. Jordan was in bed being like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I was like, I think you need to take me to the hospital. I was freaking out. Like <laughs> I was having one of those moments and I am cool people. Like I was being so uncool. And I just, after it was all done, I looked and took some inventory. Cause I'm a big fan of taking inventory. And I was just like, I went into that projecting that that was going to happen unconsciously. Like I didn't visualize that specific, but I was unsure if it was right for me. And the universe was like, okay, here you go, here's this experience. Um, Something that is, while we're talking about the power of manifestation and visualization, something I do every morning while I'm putting on my makeup, like this doesn't have to be in meditation, but something I do is I visualize myself going through the day and how i want to eat and how i want to feel and the words i want to speak and the kindness that i want to uh, practice and I visualize, you know, like most of us know what our day is going to look like for, so I visualize myself like saying no to the cookies and saying yes to this and showing up at my mom's house to go to the pool. And I know she's going to have chips and whatever out. And I just go right past it. And I grab my Topo Chico, like really, truly the details. And then I visualize myself 9.30 PM. I'm going to be in one or two places. I'm going to be on the couch watching TV, or I'm going to be reading a book or, you know, in front of my computer. And I visualize how I want to feel once the day is over. How did this day go? What am I proud of? And that just takes two minutes while you're doing other things in the morning. But again, that practice. So if you know that you're a person that at 8 p.m. you're going to consume cannabis in some way, visualize how you want to feel, what you want to eat or not eat. It sounds so simple. It's, it is simple. It's not easy. And yes. there's a difference between the two. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not easy. Nothing in worth it in life is going to be easy, but it is simple. And that's my job is to take all of the um, confusion out of nutrition and out of what it means to really take care of yourself and create permanent change. I would consider that I am an expert in making permanent change and to take the um, complexity out of it and at least make it simple. And then we can work on the consistency to where it does become easier. Right on.
0: So with that said, I live in California. I have people that listen all over the world. Do you do Um, sessions with people that you aren't in their physical
1: presence? I do. I have so many clients that I've been with them for years. I've never met them before. So we have clients all over the country, even some outside of the country. So the private practice, which is called nutritional wisdom, there's myself and there's two other amazing coaches. So you always have the opportunity for that one-on-one care. And for other people who feel like they don't necessarily need that Much accountability, which I would say everybody needs accountability. Uh, We also have an online course that I'm really proud of called End Emotional Eating, and it's a four week online course. It's um, less than hundred dollars; it's ninety seven dollars, and it's amazing. And there's videos and journals and meditations, and then there's also my book Feed Your Soul, which is sixteen dollars or you know fifteen dollars on Amazon. So I think it's really important to have a way to reach people at any price point. So whether it's less than $20 and you read the book or it's one-on-one really high level coaching that gets you where you want to be and so much more than you ever thought you would get out of it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I totally believe in what you're doing and I love your style and the way you present the information. And I would love to include some of your favorite recipes, Links to those on, in the show notes, and I'll include links to the book and website and all that good stuff. But which of your Instagram or social feeds do you put all the food stuff on?
1: I would say to follow Carly Pollock is probably the one that I'm most active on. And okay. then there's the nutritional wisdom, which has some food stuff, but Carly Pollock is really where people could find me, and then um, on Facebook as well. Okay. Well, I'll make sure and link to all of that. Check me out on the social meds. And I will just say about the book, because for whatever reason, I'm feeling like I'm on my best behavior today. Um, The book is funny and crude and has profanity. And it's like, I remember the publisher being like, well, you have quite a specific audience. So it's (laughs) like, um, if you don't enjoy Amy Schumer type behavior, then I probably would not buy the book or follow me at all for that matter.
0: I mean, that's right. Like she said, she's from Staten Island. What do oh, you expect? I mean, you can't take, there's only so much you can do to cover this up. I mean. I love it. Yeah, that that's the Carly I know. Yep. That's the Carly I know and love. Well, thanks for hanging out. Is there any yeah. kind of
1: last thing that maybe I didn't touch on that you think is important? I think just the big takeaway for people to understand that no matter what it is you want to achieve in your health and your life, that the end goal of all goals is to be happy and that anything we're doing is a conduit with which we get happy. And so the real work is about getting clear on what it is you're really trying to achieve. It's not about looking some, you know, a certain way in a bathing suit or having a certain amount of money in the bank. It's really about our beliefs and what we think will make us happy, and that's why the deeper work really is done in your head and not on your plate. Preach!
0: You're absolutely right. I love it. I love you, and I'm happy to support you. I'm sure we'll f- find something else for you to. Oh, uh, yeah, new time to- We'll brainstorm some top. There Transform you go. Yeah, whenever when you're back on your cannabis game, I'm sure we'll have other things to talk oh, about. Oh yeah, let's
1: get on <laughs> and then get it on. You know what I'm saying. <laughs>
0: food for thought. What a delicious thing. If you found a morsel of goodness in my conversation with Carly, I hope you'll share this episode of the podcast with someone in your life battling in their relationship with food. I've watched Carly help people make permanent changes in their lives, no matter what their health and wellness goals may be. As far as I'm concerned, life lessons and habits They need to include at least a little bit of fun and a whole lot of joy, or they just won't stick. I think that's what makes Carly so good at this. She's not only intelligent and thoughtful, but her delivery is fun and lighthearted. Pairing our cannabis with a healthy lifestyle is a true game changer, and I love sharing what I know and learn with you. You'll find tasty munchies recipes from Carly and a special offer on wellness coaching from Nutritional Wisdom in the show notes at casuallybaked.com. Maybe you have your own favorite mindful munchie recipe or cannabis-infused health habits. If you've got nutritional wisdom to share with the tribe, connect with us all on social using hashtag casuallybaked. And as always... Submit your cana curious questions at casuallybaked.com. Social butterflies, you can DM me at casuallybaked on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Casually Baked the podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Arnav Gupta. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out.
1: Thanks for listening to today's show to check out more great cannabis podcasts go to podconnects.com here's a preview of one of our other shows how do cannabis ceos balance growth and optimization strategies what is thco delta 10 and cbna and why should you care about these minor cannabinoids and why isn't endocannabinoid system covered in medical school most people think they're up to date in trends in the cannabis industry but they're about 6 weeks behind